Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, starring Donald Pleasance, Ellie Cornell, and Daniel Harris. Story by Alan B. McElroy, Danny Lipsis, Larry Ratner, and Benjamin Ruffner. Screenplay by Alan B. McElroy and directed by Dwight H. Little. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to wrap up this slasher fearsome four cask here. Now, now right around the Halloween season. And of course, we had to finish and wrap up with the franchise that started it all, right? Uh, Halloween. And here we're Halloween 4 from 1988. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And just the road to get here. Last year, we had the a very perplexing season of The Witch and that kind of failed experiment. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, today, we're having some more of the Davis County uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, do you want to pour us out here? Sure. And you said this, you you had seen this one before. This one this one floats around AMC a lot during Fear Fest or whatever they call it. I, I, I remember when they used to call it Monster Fest mm-hmm. back in the day. But this one's kind of routinely on TV a lot. This one in this one in five. Uh, made by Trancus International Pictures. Hey, we know that company. <laughs> We've spent some time talking to them, haven't we? Hmm. I do like this bottle. <clears throat> this was a winner. You picked a good one. And they they had a few different like variations on it too. I think that there was a sour mash in there. Um like a single barrel. They had a, a few different types made in different uh different barrels. So we might have to come back to this label and give them another go, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe for the next cast, we've kind of already kind of dabbled in. We'll tease out later kind of where, where we're going with that. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Let's get started with our flight question. Alrighty, so the flight this week, this is, you're, you're kind of coming in a, a little blind here, Matt, yeah, uh, but uh, uh, I thought this would make a great conversation for us to kind of get the the wheels started on, on this week's episode, but you know I've been watching uh, every week now for the last almost two months now, Shudder's new 101 Scariest Movie Moments, and they've been kind of doing an interesting thing where they do 13 entries per week, and I think there's been eight total episodes, but this last Wednesday was the final one, the top 10. And I want to rattle off what the top 10 were, and I want to know your thoughts, opinions on what they decided to select. And then we can kind of talk about what maybe shouldn't be on there, maybe what should be on there instead. And uh, to those of you out there, I mean, I think this is, it's not meant to be, I don't think it was made by the same people that made that legendary Bravo's 100 scariest way back in 04. Yeah. More, this is more of like a spiritual cousin or successor to, to that. Um, but I'm going to rattle them off from 10 to 1, uh, and then we could talk about it. Okay. Coming in at number 10, the original Japanese Ringu. 
Number nine, Train to Busan. It's a, a Korean uh, zombie movie. At number eight, Sinister. Number seven, The Exorcist. It's one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. At number six, we have The Shining. Number five, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And I got to tell you a little bit about Psycho after this. Don't let me forget, okay? Okay. Number four, Audition. Coming in in the top three, number three, Ari Aster's Hereditary. Mm. Number two, Mr. John Carpenter, but not Halloween, The Thing. And coming in at number one, Toby Hooper and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. What do you think about that? What what jumps out at you? Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously at number one, is going to be the one... Anything that's the number one certainly draws attention to it. Um, give me the actual verbiage on how the, is this top scariest, top one hundred scariest. What was the actual verbiage on that? It was moments, moments, and and, and the show, the programming itself was kind of interesting because there were some entries where they like kind of talked about like a lot of moments in the thing. So I, I could never pinpoint like exactly like which one it was supposed to be. The one in particular that they really drew themselves towards was when is it Rick or Paul? When he goes into the the house for the first time and kind of trips over the door and Leatherface is there and then he gets bludgeoned, right? Yeah. And then slams the door. So that I think that was the moment that they honed in on. But um, it was definitely time for them to talk about, you know, the time it was made, the social commentary of it all, the economical piece of it. Um, I I was kind of okay with it. I mean, that, that go back and listen two years ago when we did Texas with uh, with Mark all those years ago. That film's grown on me a lot, and so I can see how something like that could make a number one. It's not number one in my heart, but um, the viscerage and the the brutality of that is much like Halloween, the original, uh, fairly obscure, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. it's a lot left for the imagination and for interpretation. So I think that's where a lot of the power and that's the little scares of that film uh, really rely. And that creepy John Larroquette voiceover at the beginning, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I I there's no way in the world that probably even makes my top ten. Yeah, and that's I'm not begrudging that movie. It's fine for what it is. Yeah. Um, now, if you were to flip the two, would you be okay putting the thing at number one? God, that no. The top ten scariest, or the top ten most memorable movement in any in top most memorable moment in any horror film. Yeah, is Reagan with the crucifix, and it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, and that's not to say that those other ones aren't good. There's some moments in there that stick out. And when you say this particular moment, Mm -hmm. horror is so subjective that the producers of the show have their particular moments. And I might agree with the film, but it might be a different moment. We do that all the time. Yeah. It happens here on our, our list. Right. Um, yeah, no, I can't, I, I, I really don't agree with Texas chainsaw at all. If, I, I, I often correlate Texas Chainsaw to this regard. If I go mm-hmm. McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's, yeah. which would be Halloween, Nightmare, and Friday, yeah. then Texas Chainsaw is Sonic. <laughs> the fourth place finisher. It's so, it's so true. Isn't it? Yes. And if you're <laughs> going to go down the road of slasher horror, and I get the, the socioeconomic piece, I guess, but then... You know, George A. Romero should probably be higher than if you're going to do that. In my opinion, oh, I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. yeah. Um, now, what do you think about? No, I just I didn't, 
the more I think about that, no, <laughs> I'm really troubled by that. Number yeah. one, that's no. So you'd probably slide the exorcist into the number one slot. Cause that was the moment they talked about, which was, it has to be. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't think Texas chainsaw even makes my top probably 15. Okay. It might. No, I don't. Uh, mm. Now what about the pot, the, just the power of like, you know, I knew that I knew this list and that was kind of the difference between Bravo's list all those years, almost 20 years ago. Can you believe that, that? was such a good program? God, that, that was, was I love that. And and this kind of had a lot of that, the talking heads. And it was kind of nice to hear someone like they had Keith David on to talk oh. about the thing. And that's cool. Edgar Wright was talking about, and you know, Tony Todd, like all the big heads. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the moment they talked about with, uh, the, with the exorcist, but number three, a moment that was very powerful for me and you when we saw it in the theater, the decapitation and hereditary. If we're pulling anything from the last 20 years, yeah, I'm pretty okay with this injury. Sure. Yeah. That might be number two behind the crucifix for me. Yeah. And the way we gasped. Yeah. Yeah. Audible. Oh my God. And that was, but that was, but the tip of the iceberg of weirdness that the rest of that movie had uh, in store for us, right? I mean, it, it got like a whole lot stranger as it continued. But I never expected them to like go that way. I mean, those trailers and the advertisements for that movie were very smart because you kind of thought Charlie, the little girl, mm-hmm. was a main character in that film. Yeah. And when they dispatch of her, spoiler alert, twenty five minutes in, twenty minutes in. You can't be nothing left in shocked, and it's the way that it happened too. And then the aftermath, yeah, walking up to the room, going to sleep, and then doing the discovery all off screen, and then that quick smash cut to the head in the road. Remember? Yes, that's a very great moment. It's I and I still can't believe that that's his first movie, right? Me either. Yeah, like I, I don't know how he a twenty four spec horror idea that's so weird. Like is able to get Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne, which are, those are pretty good gets, and it to end up being so good. Like, what, what do you think of that? Yeah. That script must have read amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, because it had to have sold on. We have a first-time director, a spec story. There's no supporting material attached. Do you want to read it? I think we, you really might like it. I think from what I was brought up being taught is if you write amazing <clears throat> characters, then they'll find a home with somebody in representationville yeah and that seems to be the case here Mm -hmm. Uh, you know tony collette and and gabriel byrne i guess are not you know brad pitt and sure scarlett johansson Mm -hmm. but for that kind of film and like the difficulties i think that horror just has sometimes drawing recognizable talent to it huge gets for that film yeah and I would argue it's Colette's vehicle a lot more than Bernal. Oh, yeah. He's really good in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that movie delivers. And that's that's the moment that in my latter adult life or this version of adult life, I don't even know what this is in my adult life, <laughs> this portion of it. That's been the thing that's rocked me in the theater across all genres the most in the last 15 to 20 years. That that moment. There's been some things I've seen that, wow, that's pretty crazy or yikes or haha. You know, of all the emotional outbursts. Mm-hmm. That is the winner. Yeah. That came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think it solidified that studio as like this indie sneaky horror studio. And they do a lot of other like uncut gems and they do a lot of other non horror related films, Mm -hmm. but they excel in that space so well of like weird horror, right? The lighthouse and the witch and hereditary and Midsommar. And you know, it comes at night. Like just, they're just so off the beaten path. Green room. 
we were talking about green room uh, the other day, and yeah, I think that's that's a good space for them. That's a great company. Let's talk about Psycho. Was came in at number five. It's got to be the shower scene. I'm it's, assuming it's it was the shower scene, and then kind of Arbogast, uh mm. killed down the stairs, right? But it was more about the reveal of how it was shot above head, like bird's eye view, mm-hmm. and then Norman come Norman Norma comes around the corner. The the oldest film on the top ten, nineteen sixty. Uh, yeah, I think it's it, it's nice to pay respects to the the, the 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 older films that laid the foundation for all this this new stuff, but. Psycho still plays, man. Psycho is still so well made. And I've, I wanted to bring, wield this back to what I said was I've been dabbling in all the Psycho sequels as of late. Two, three, uh, four. I even watched the Gus Van Sant remake, which is its own kind of bag of issues, right? Mainly it's just how do you do the same movie with just lesser everything, right? Mm -hmm. But I found something and this is fascinating. So part of this in 1987. Post Psycho 3, Universal really wanted to get into the TV space with some of their properties. So Psycho was one of them. So they made a TV pilot that was kind of like an hour and a half TV movie to like maybe go to uh, series order, right? And it was called Bates Motel, starring Bud Court and Lori Petty. Oh, wow. And it kind of rewrites all of the sequels and it takes place after the original years later, Norman's died in the institution and he's left the estate and the motel to this guy he met in the hospital named Alex played by Bud Cord. And the story bottles down to them renovating the hotel, trying to open it back up. But then like all this weird stuff keeps happening. Mm. And it was supposed to be kind of like a mystery of the week where, you know, they were going to help people out of a jam. And in the end of this pilot, this woman's going there to kill herself. And then she's like, all these like ghosts kind of show up, but like all these old, like people from the fifties, like tell her not to commit suicide because they all killed themselves. It was very strange. And Jason Bateman played one of the kids, a very young Jason Bateman. Wow. It was really terrible, Matt. And it was, you, you, you really had to laugh at it. I mean, they're like, Bud Court has Norman's urn on like the desk and he's like talking to it saying like, we did it, Norman, we opened it up and they played this really melancholy sitcom music. It's like, you cannot not laugh at that. Wow. Obviously it didn't get picked up. Clearly. <laughs> like, had you ever heard of that? Like I had no. never heard of Bates Motel. I hadn't either. The failed TV experiment. <clears throat> I liked the first couple seasons of the new one. Sure. Yeah. With Vera Farmiga. Yeah. I wanted to bring something up to you. I'm going to give you three scenes and then, this is, you've got me thinking a lot about the Texas Chainsaw entry. Okay. Okay, so the aforementioned decapitation scene, mm-hmm. the crucifixion scene, and the shower scene. Yeah. Okay, so I'm talking about hereditary, exorcist, yeah. and psycho. Yeah. What is that scene, or what is that moment? Title one of those moments for me in Texas Chainsaw. Well, it was, it was probably, yeah, the reveal of the leather face. That's, that's the one they talked about or putting Pam on, on the meat hook or that's one I was going to say is, is the meat hook scene maybe in Texas chainsaw, but I don't think that any of those, whether it's the reveal or the meat hook or meeting the family dinner or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah. Has the gravity that any of those other three. No, did. I'm with you. Yeah. And that's, that, that may not even be the one, two and three. I think one and two are probably, that might be one, two and three actually for me, but I'd just give that some thought. Well, I'll throw, I just think that's, um, man, that's a strange, strange entry. Yeah. 
Sonic has never beat McDonald's. Yeah. And I'll throw another wrench into the thing, but it would probably be my number one that didn't even crack the top 10. I think it was number 12 or 13. Where's my chestburster scene from Alien, mm-hmm. man? Like, I mm-hmm. need I need that in there, too. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. For that not even to make the list over something like Sinister, which... What is... Si- well, Sinister, that's the Ethan Hawke one. We saw I know, it. I know, but what moment? Yeah, just it was the, the lawnmower scene with Bagul. But, like, how does any of that play better than, like, anything from Jaws... Anything from Halloween, anything from Alien. And so that's what it really does boil down to. I was like, this list was some person's opinion, right? So, and they're just filling out who they could get to talk about it. So that's where I leave that at the end of the day. But Train to Busan, Sinister, Ringu, I'm probably getting them out of the top 10. And I'm probably supplanting like Alien, The Descent, and... Maybe Wreck? Maybe mm-hmm. something from Paranormal Activity? Mm-hmm. And all those films that I mentioned, they did make the list. They were just all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. So it was interesting, though. It was it was, it was was an interesting format that they did one a week, and there was some stuff on there I hadn't seen, so that kind of gave me some, like, add some stuff to my watch list to check out to kind of go down that road. I often wonder when I see those lists if part of the idea on the list is let's make this wrong on purpose so that it generates more discussion and the hopes that that gets it more feed and more traction. And then, yeah, because that happens all the time in sports too. Mm -hmm. They'll have these lists done by executives from around the league. Yeah. I got to thinking about that. There was one that came out uh, at the beginning of the season this year and it was top 10 quarterbacks. It was rated by NFL executives. Of all time or current contemporary playing now. And the more and more I thought about that, I came to the realization like no executive that's the actual GM has time to field a phone call from Field Yates or whoever the hell called from ESPN or SI or whoever it was. Yeah. And fill out that ballot with something that is inconsequential as getting the traffic. That's clearly given to like their assistant's assistant and said, do something with this. Yeah. Because the other thing too is because GMs do get fired quite a bit. Yeah. Who the hell wouldn't vote for their own guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you had it to do all over again, would you have taken your quarterback number one overall? Said that anyone to the Chargers and Ryan Leaf? Yeah, we thought he was better than Peyton Manning. Or Peyton Manning wasn't available when we chose at number two. What else did we have a chance to, you know, I mean. Exactly. No, no, we look back at it and we really wish we'd taken, uh, you know, whoever the hell was in the third round that maybe had a, some sort of. No, no. You're going to have to go for your guy because your job depends on it. Yeah. So. You throw out something like the chestburster scene and it doesn't even make the top 10. Yeah. You know, you, and for as, as monumental as hereditary is mm-hmm. that scene, there's a lot of people that probably would take issue with that. Cause it's so new. Yeah. Five, six years old. Yeah. Pretty hard to argue with the shower scene. Yeah. And pretty hard to argue with Reagan's crucifixion. No, scene. no argument there, but some of that stuff in there, I think they just do kind of to just, somebody is just wanting to generate some, some traffic, but it does bring up an interesting point. And that's a nice look at the revision of a list. That's truly impossible to figure out. Cause I bet if I said, here's your top 10 today mm-hmm. and we did it again in three months, yeah, it'd be different. Some of them might say the same, but it would be different. Yeah. No. And I, I, I wondered too, with kind of the, the way they programmed out the segments, I was like, did they, did this make the list purely because, cause there was a lot of Mike Flanagan entries haunting of hill house um dr sleep was on there and i was like did they 
just make delicious because they 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 were able to get him and he could talk about like what he made. Right. And so I wondered about that too. So You don't like his stuff, do you? Something about it doesn't work. I know. It's, I'm with you. It's too sleepy for me or too he tries to take that kind of old school ghost approach and it just, there's something, there's like a missing component to his formula that just doesn't jive or Ari Aster just seems to check all the boxes for me. Him and Robert Eggers, man, like those guys, like they, they know what I want to watch. Yeah. Weird, unexplainable horror. Um, but yeah, Mike Flanagan and, and his wife, they were both talking heads on, on this thing. So I wondered, I was like, did this just make it just so, cause they got the guy who could like talk about the movie and, and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't Let know. me ask you another question. Yeah. Since we're on this now. For everybody out there, we, in typical horror fan fashion, we broke all social norms and introduced my daughter at way too young an age to actual original Halloween last night. Unedited pretty much with the exception of hands over her eyes when it came to PJ, <laughs> PJ Souls and her being able to get what's his name's ghost. Yeah. Um, and I think generally it went really well. Yeah. She took it like a champ and... Here's to her. Yeah. And here's to you for bringing it and being yeah, part of that. Sure. In the original Halloween, to me, there's a moment that might make maybe not top 10, but probably top 15. Yeah. And I bet it's the same moment for you too. Yeah. What moment do you think I'm talking about? Or what moment sticks out in your mind about that? The moment that always, I always think about that is just like so shocking and surprising. And it's why Carpenter's such a, a maestro of composition. It's it's the post-discovery of the bodies when Laurie backs into that hallway and then they put the Kundi, the scimitar, he put a dimmer on the light. So he was always there, but then the light reveals his face, right? And they're watching the whole time. It's just a great reveal. And it's just, you just don't see it coming. And the character, we she doesn't know anything that's going on. Uh, it's a great reveal. It's it's just and it's it's tense and then it leads to a, a great chase for like the next ten minutes of the movie and then the movie's over. Uh, yeah, that that would be that'd be my moment. Maybe this is because it's fresh on my mind and the evolution of Michael Myers was something we're going to get into today certainly. But I think the most introspective moment we have on that character, other than six year old in the clown costume, is when. He stabs whatever the hell, what's his name? Um, go get me a beer. Oh, Bob. When he stabs Bob yeah, and stares at him. Mm-hmm. And much like a dog that is trying to decode what the human is saying <laughs> or why they won't give me the toy out of your hand, that head twist to the left and then to the right that's sort of either admiring his work or trying to understand the process of death. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think it's, mm-hmm. hmm. What did I just do? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. And I kind of like this. Yeah. That to me, or the one you mentioned, both those are really good ones. Mm -hmm. I had the first one. The second one that you brought up is also a really good one. I think both of those are two moments that easily trump (laughs) anything. The lawnmower scene and and, um, Insidious or Sinister. Aren't they the same film? Mm -hmm. Feel like it. Yeah. Uh, Or... In Texas Chainsaw, and I'm not I'm not bagging on Texas Chainsaw. Everybody, like, Matt must hate Texas Chainsaw. Now go back and listen to the episode. I'm fine with that film. Yeah. I just think that, and it's it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. What a great discussion piece for 20 minutes. Yeah, because uh, we, yeah, I knew it would be. And the, the, the sick thing at the end of the day is like I, I love these lists. Anytime I see an article, it's like top 10 uh, greatest NBA teams of all time. I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to read that. Hell yeah. yeah. It's just like, and it, whether my 
choice or my, well, that one has to be on there. Like, like I don't really care because I didn't write the article. Like, that's the great thing about, like, the lists of just, like, you just, like, wanting to see, like, where someone else places things. And then how they justify it, mm-hmm. I think, is the fun piece. Um, and to the to the show's credit, I thought they actually did a decent yeah. job justifying their Texas Chainsaws number one. It wouldn't be my number one. Uh, I'd probably put the Exorcist in there or the chestburster scene. Um, and I'd do a little more switch-o, change-o, rearrange-o. Mm. Um, but it was fun. And I, 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 people should check that, check it out. It's, I guess, eight hours of episode to, to sift through. I just gave you the top 10 if you don't care. But What's the other fun thing about that, too, is then it turns into a, a whataboutism game. Yeah. And then, it, like, especially two dorks like you and I mm-hmm. would sit here and be like, oh, you know what? That's a good one you brought up, but here's something that's even more obscure, but cool obscure in our annals. So I'm going to throw this one at you, and we just keep going back and forth, and they take an eight-hour episode, and you and I turn it into a 24-hour podcast. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what's great about it. Yep. All right, to Texas Chainsaw. To Texas Chainsaw. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into our review breakdown of Halloween 4. It's 4 in the morning. I can't sleep. What is this, four nights in a row? You going for a record here, the seven-year-old Insomniacs Hall of Fame? Do you love me, Rachel? <sighs> Serious questions tonight. Of course I love you. Like a sister? Jamie, sometimes Like a real sister? We're not really sisters, Jamie. But that doesn't mean that I love you any less. Sure it does. I know you miss your parents. It hasn't been that long. It's been 11 months. Your mother used to babysit me when I was your age. I bet you didn't know that. You're lucky. I wish you could do the same for me. Come on, Jamie. Let's go back to bed. Come on, Sunday. So, Matt, before we get into the story and the opening credits and the return of Loomis and Myers and all these new characters, I want to... Because I did a ton, I do a lot of research for, you know, all our episodes. But for whatever reason, I did, like, a lot of extra research for Halloween 4 for some reason. So I kind of want to give you the story of kind of how we even got here uh, uh, to just play catch up with last week. So Halloween 3 came out in 1982. Very perplexing. Everyone kind of really hated it when it came out. Uh, it was a huge bomb. Everyone wanted to know where Myers was. It was kind of that failed John Carpenter, Deborah Hill experiment to turn the franchise into uh, yearly anthologies set around the holiday, right? So this thing just kind of sat around, didn't really do a whole lot. And, you know, Carpenter, I, I think the thing that n- never really gets talked about a lot is he kind of considered coming back to this franchise. I mean, look at Carpenter in 1987 post original Halloween. And he has the thing bomb Christine underperform big term, little China bomb uh, Starman, sleepy kind of didn't really make a whole lot. He doesn't have like a hit in there, right? Nope. It's all a lot of sleepy cult films, which I love nearly everything I just mentioned in there. Yep. But he doesn't have, like, that hit, so he kind of toyed with the idea. I was like, well, what if I come back to Halloween? And whether I direct it or if I produce it, like, that could at least bring some more clout to my name, right? Yeah. So, you know, the rights in this thing, Universal didn't want to touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. They were so soured on Season of the Witch that they 
they gave up their their rights to the franchise. And then the Canon Film Group came in, and they made a lot of shit in the 80s Canon Films. They made, you know, all the Chuck Norris films and, you know, Masters of the Universe and just a lot of crap. Uh, but they got Carpenter back on board, and he commissioned a screenwriter, Dennis Etchison, to... And he came up with a story that was going to be Lindsay and Tommy Doyle grown up. Uh, and it was going to kind of get to the more uh, supernatural side of Michael Myers. And Haddonfield had banned Halloween. And they, it was going to be a very different type of Halloween movie. And it kind of sounds a little bit of what Halloween 6 became before it got crazy. They were going to get Joe Dante to direct it from the Gremlins and the Howling fame. Like a lot of a pretty good gets, but it all just fell apart. So at that point, John and, and Deborah were just like, well, you know what? Let's just walk away from Halloween. So they sold their stake in the franchise. And I thought this was really fascinating. No one in Hollywood, no independent studios, no major big studio, no <laughs> one bid on their rights to the franchise. Wow. They were so in awe of how perplexing part three was that it could have been cheap. I mean, you probably for a million, you probably could have gotten your own rights to the Halloween franchise to be a producer. No one, no one in Hollywood wanted Halloween. So that's where Mustafa came and he was like, well, I'll buy them up. And so he kind of became the sole proprietor of this franchise. No John, no Deborah, And it kind of became, as I talked with you, they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. So they did, which I think is absurd an open pitch call in 1987. Mm -hmm. Give us your best idea for the Halloween franchise. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> it's just... Especially not in 1987. You know where I buy it is I buy it now. Sure. Yeah. In some virtual trick to drive traffic and clicks. Mm -hmm. I, I buy it now. But to really do it in 1987 means scheduling appointments and hearing pitches and sitting through that. No, that's unheard of, especially with something that was as, as established as this was. So if you had a way to get into Trancus, mm -hmm. which that couldn't have been very hard. No. If you had a good idea, you could have gone and pitched it to Mustafa himself. I mean, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So the three screenwriters uh, that got chosen, they kind of pitched, you know, this general idea of this film that we saw. But then the director, Dwight H. Little, he wanted, he came in and he's like, ah, I kind of want to rewrite the whole thing. So he brought in Alan B. McElroy. And I alluded to this last week that this writer strikes like, right around the corner. So he had like eight days to finish a, a whole draft of a story before the strike went in because these WGA writers can't do work while they're on strike, right? Mm -hmm. So he just got it in under the gun. And a lot of it's this kind of general uh, idea of what, what we watch today. And then a lot of extra stuff that I'll kind of mention and pepper in uh, as we go along, just some little extra anecdotes. But, Matt, let me let me ask you: Is this the right is this the right approach? Did you maybe want to see another crack at an anthology story, or did we just want to get back to Michael Myers? No, I probably want to get back to Michael Myers, but I'm saying that only because I think three was, although an okay film. Not what I signed up for when I saw the title Halloween. Yeah. So they did some irreparable harm to the franchise. And again, like, not because that's such a terrible film. It's actually a, as a standalone movie that's just called <clears throat> Season of the Witch. You remove Halloween from it. Probably works. That would have been better. But in this particular case, I want more Michael. And I'm just going to be real open about this. 
having gone through now four of these films with each of our characters, really three Halloween, but four in, in functional viewing. I think Michael of the three is my favorite character. Yeah. Uh, by the time four's done, Freddie's almost just a walking quip and it's getting to be a little bit annoying. Um, <coughs> kind of not even sure what the hell Jason is at this point. Oh, uh, he's dead. <laughs> you know, again, and, um, he just kind of feels like this bloated pus ball to me at this moment. Like he's been killed and, and stabbed and, I think Michael still is maintaining some semblance of humanness in some weird way. So yep. for me, I want the I want Michael. Now that may change by the time the story is done, by the time this story is done, because maybe I I'm exhausted, but maybe I'm not. To answer your question, I think anthology might have been a mistake, but here's the possibility for anthology that I think could have played. And it's kind of where this movie goes anyway. By the time two is done, there is so much collateral damage that the people of Haddonfield have been exposed to that you have 20 stories of the aftermath of Michael post-Michael. That could take you down a very interesting anthology path that could range from horror to domestic, not bliss. What is and, and here's the story that really has my interest peaked. Yeah. As much as this movie needs Michael in it, because mm-hmm. it's his franchise, yeah. it's got to have Laurie. Yeah. And we get the ghost of Laurie in this in a big way, mm-hmm. which is the main titular final girl, who's what, eight, 10 in this film? Yeah. Is her daughter. Mm-hmm. And we actually stopped the film and I asked you, did I miss something? Yeah. And I've seen this at least one and a half times, so two and a half with this time through now. She fathered a, or that child, or she fathered a child or she mothered a child yeah. with some, some other person, baby we, daddy. We've never met. Yeah. There. And then, and then passed. There's a story there. Sure. And, we get to the story afterwards, like after everything's been said and done and Michael has caused so much hell and so much tragedy and tragedy and fear and loss and violence and you name it. Yeah. That he's exposed so much weakness in this just neighborhood friendly community that this guy showed up and just brought it to its knees. What is Haddonfield like post this? these five gunmen in this truck that decide they're going to take the law into their own hands and just cruise around the town. We're going to find this bastard and shoot him. Yeah. Like we're already there. Yeah. That's the anthology that I think could have played. And each one of those four or five characters had a crack. I'm not saying I would have loved it, but there was a possibility Mm -hmm. that each one of the four or five of those characters could have had their own story. Sure. I know you haven't seen it yet, but this is one of the reasons I think you need to see Halloween ends because they mm-hmm. kind of do exactly what you just described. Oh, really? It's on plan. I think it's maybe tonight. Yeah. We're going to see Blackout on this afternoon. I think it might be after that tonight. Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to need it. No, um, but uh, without spoiling the film, the, it takes place four or five years after Halloween kills. Mm-hmm. And Matt, how many people did Michael Myers kill in that second movie alone? Like, 15, 20? Maybe 30. Yeah. <laughs> so you get yeah. like 15 firefighters in that opening scene. Yeah, yeah. So the the general plot of Halloween ends is like, how is Haddonfield like coping after a massacre like that and like 
they're all spooked to hell. Everybody, like, as everyone is all jittery about Michael Myers and where he's at and this and that. And they kind of start to go down a path that I, I think, and this is the controversial piece of this particular film, they go down a road that I am particularly interested in. Hmm. Uh, but they're kind of doing a little bit of what you described. Like, what does Haddonfield do post part two's hospital massacre? And, like, what does that look like without, like, really bringing Michael in full force? And then eventually you do bring him in because, you know, you do want to see him. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, they could kind of play around with with those elements here. Good. I'm really fired up to watch this now. But I really like the way this film uh, in particular starts out. You know, usually. Well, hold on a minute before you go there. Go ahead. Do you want Michael or do you want an anthology? I think I want one more crack at the anthology. I, I kind of like that as an idea, as a mechanism. To be completely honest with you, if Halloween 1 ends the way it does and he's just there on the lawn and then he's gone and we never got another Halloween after that, I think I'm okay. Yeah, me too. I think then we're in some Black Christmas space where we just, we're never getting into and mucking up the mythology of this boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the one of the real strengths of Black Christmas over Halloween, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I don't, as much as I've seen all 13 Halloween films, Matt, like... I also, if there was one, I'm okay. Um, I think I need one more crack, and it needs to be a better idea than Stonehenge uh, chips that are going to make centipedes and snakes come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. I want one more crack at the Halloween idea because I think there's something there, and then something that could be u- new, new, unique, and fresh every year. I think that could have really worked. They just picked the worst way to do it, and you can't call it Halloween anymore. Call it a new title. It's just part of this whole series, right? Mm. Um. But uh, but brings up one interesting question then. Okay. If Mustafa Akkad pays the lofty sum of $1 million to acquire the rights for Halloween. Whatever it costs, yeah. And then takes an open pitch from any Tom, Dick, or Harry that, or Sally that has a script or an idea. Yeah. Is this a a problem with enough money, Mm -hmm. But zero creativity in the room or ability to access any creativity. And that's what takes us down some of these really obscure paths that we go down. Yeah, I think so. I think it's an access piece. <laughs> Trankus is a shit company. I only know I only know them for Halloween, right? I think that's all they did. Yeah. So all those years ago, Sammy must have been he should have been taking Halloween pitches, right? I mean, like what else was Trankus? Like, really gearing up. Maybe some television stuff I think they maybe dabbled in. But this is their bread and butter, so... Everybody's asking, who's Sammy? Once upon a time, Jesse and I had a pretty strong relationship with Trankus International Films, with Mustafa Akkad's son, not Mustafa himself, had passed the reins to his son. Malik. Yeah, and uh, we were pretty tight with kind of their head C, that's creative executive, um, director of development, Sammy. I'm not going to say last names, because there's no reason to do that. But his name was Sammy, and... We had many, many drinks and many, many meetings and many, many story discussions. And I, I got to what I'd love to, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Jesse, this is when we were working at the screenwriting conference, and Jesse got a chance to sit down and chat with Sammy. And this is a big moment for you because this is the company that's the producer of your favorite film ever. Yeah. And you sat down in a frank discussion with him about the zombie stuff, Rob zombie stuff. And I'd like you to tell that story if you wouldn't mind. Sure. And it was a couple things. I actually got to like do a soft pitch on like what I would like to see in a Halloween film. 
Um, but like w- they were in no position to do it because they're also at the mercy of Dimension Films and the Weinstein's right at this time too. Oh, that's right. Uh, but were they on lot? No, they were not. They weren't on mm-hmm. lot. No, no. They um, okay. So th- when when he came and met, th- they were deep into production on Rob Zombie's Halloween Two in Georgia. And I asked him, I was like, Sammy, can you tell me anything about Halloween too? Like, what's the direction? Where is this going to go? And he asked me, he was like, did you like the first one? And, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was like, I kind of didn't really care for it. It was a little bit much for me. It was, didn't have a lot of the grace of the original. There, there were some things in there that are okay, but like, I kind of didn't like that movie. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're not going to like this one. Just flat out told me you're not going to like Halloween too. And then I went and saw it. And didn't like it. And didn't like it. It was crazy. It's a crazy movie made by kind of a crazy guy. But but to, to that extent, I think they were just so in the weeds with the Halloween franchise that they didn't even really know what they wanted to do with it. And to, to their credit and to David Gordon Green and Danny McBride coming on board 10 years after that, this franchise has really had to sit and think about what it wants to be several times over, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it. You said four. Yeah, four, reinvented itself four times. Yeah, four reinventions of like soft reboots of this franchise. Break like, that down because you were hit. Uh, tell them. Tell yeah, them. so this is what we're talking about today is a soft reboot from the anthology tribe part three. We're going to do it again after six and the cult of thorn into H2O, H2O into the zombie verse, and then the zombie verse into the Blumhouse uh, David Gordon Green trilogy. Well, and then even another one, which is after three back into four. Yeah. Oh, that's what I mean. I started with that one. Yeah. So that's a lot of figuring out where we're going to go again. And that's something though. It's important. Like after you brought that up, I was thinking about this. That speaks to the staying power. And maybe because he was the original of the big three, how loved this character is. And it's strange because of the three, and maybe this is the secret. Yeah. He's the least defined of the three. Yeah. He does the most mystery around him. He doesn't speak. He has no personality. He just saunters like a, like a robot from scene to scene, killing. killing anybody that reminds him of his family or his sister. Yeah. What is it? I mean, like, you know, in the first one, I noticed this when we were watching it, he's Michael Myers in original OG Halloween spends almost, <laughs> OG. almost an hour of that movie stalking, watching people. Yeah not doing anything no killing like it's like he decides to kill because it's like i guess i'm done here i'll move on to the next person i'm gonna watch the voyeur looking at annie through the windows across the street driving past them outside Lori's room like that across from Lori's classroom yeah just just not really making a move because he could just strangle whenever he decides like he's getting off on some sort of weird voyeuristic fantasy and it all boils down to his his sister right yep not taking him trick-or-treating all those years in 1963 ago and just watching. He's stuck in that six, seven-year-old brain and just murders his way. Yeah, what's interesting about that? There's not a really, at the end of the day, there's not a lot interesting about Michael's character. Except, right, at that point, you're right. Except this is where I think our buy-in is. Yeah. Except why he kills her. Yeah. And how he kills her. Mm -hmm. Post-coital, she's naked. Yeah. There's and we we talked about this way a long time ago with Halloween one the penetration and the phallus like components of the knife and a prepubescent Michael and curiosity yeah. and now you're voyeuristic and the fact that we watch him kill her as we're going through a voyeuristic semi aroused state yeah the POV all of that plays into 
I don't actually think the genius of John Carpenter recognizing what he was creating at that moment. The fact that he left it nondescript allowed people that really enjoyed this type of, this genre of film, this slasher horror, if you will, to really run with it. Because if you had told me after 13 films, and I have not seen all 13, I'll be honest with you, I think I'm maybe in like the neighborhood of like eight, nine after I watched the final one tonight. Yeah. Or this weekend. And it's had four missteps and reboots. Most people would have given up. Oh, yeah. Long time ago. Like, I, like I'm done. D-O-N-E with two franchises. Alien and Terminator. Yeah. They're so lost with yeah. me right now. Right. But, man, whenever in five years when they bring Michael out of the crypt again, dude, I'm going to be there again. Yep. Like, I will sign up for that. Yep. And there's a simplicity to it. With the, with the mythology at times, if you want it to be. And it can mm-hmm. be complicated as well, but I think it also, rep- you can have different fresh perspectives on like what this looks like. And that's what I kind of like about this particular entry is it's kind of the Force Awakens of the Halloween franchise. Like this is almost kind of like beat for beat, identical to the original film. Yep. Breaking out of the asylum, getting a mechanic suit, breaking into a general store and getting a mask, stalking about town. Mm-hmm. And then it differs at the end because we got to like, you know, ramp it up a little bit. But it's kind of like Mustafa's thing was like, we need to kind of get people back on board with Halloween. So let's give them a little bit of what they liked about the first one. Which is the right idea. Yeah, it's a good formula. I don't think anybody went to Halloween and said, man, I really want something different. They went to see Michael. And in 1988, they went to see some pretty hellacious kills. Yeah, Which this I would actually argue this movie of the three franchises has the least hellacious kills. This mm-hmm. was the the least bloody of the three. Do you f- agree? Yeah. I mean, Jason's all about harpoons through the eyes and setting sleeping bags on fire and corkscrews through the hand. Yeah, and yeah. Freddy's killing people in dream space, which you can do whatever the hell you want there. Eating, this is eating human meatballs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pizzas of humans. This is I've got some knife and this is basically how I'm going to do everyone in except here's the one change in this film that I found to be a real interesting discussion. Okay. So let's, we haven't even talked about the film yet. (laughs) We we pick it up and essentially Lori's daughter is. Wait, can we talk about the, yeah, go. I want to talk about the opening credits first. Okay, go. Jesus. Because you know, every Halloween film starts out with like the pumpkin against a black screen, right? Yeah. And they really decided to just do a montage of just like fall, harvest, Illinois farmland imagery. And I think it really sets the tone for the movie. It's it's just like, this is creepy. Look at that skeleton over there. Look at that pitchfork. Look at the, it's almost like Children of the Corn a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. But yep. I, made a, I made a comment to you offhand, like no offense to the original and Southern California and those neighborhoods, but like Halloween four looks the most like Haddonfield, Illinois than any of the films in this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this, this tone setter, they, we're not even playing the opening theme. We're playing like, we're playing, we're playing this over, over, over imagery. Yeah. I, I think it works a little bit. It, it's certainly differentiating everything. And then when we get to the asylum, but don't don't forget what you're about to say because let, let me on. let me just catch us up a little bit here. So we go to this asylum. They haven't learned from prior lessons to not move Michael on October 30th for some stupid reason. <laughs> right. But Michael uh, has been in a coma for the last ten years, 
uh, all bandaged up. He's in the basement of some weird psychiatric ward. Michael Pataki's. Do you remember Michael Pataki from Rocky Four? Rock uh, learning I, on learning on uh, Drago what to do to uh, yeah exactly yeah that, Michael that, yeah. that guy two hundred and fifty pounds of pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Michael. Michael might be able to take Drago. I don't know about that. That's true. Uh, just they just want to get this guy out of here. Like the, the, he creeps everybody out. I really like this uh, this security guard that's just like giving them the history. He's like, dude, hey Jesus, I ain't got nothing to do with this place. Yeah. Look at that creep and look at that weirdo. And kind of given the breakdown of the Michael's lore, killed 16 people in one night, went after his sister. So remember, in this timeline, him and Jamie Lee Curtis are related. That horrible twist from part two, right? And then Loomis shot him six times, and then they both blew up in the hospital. Uh, Yeah, remember, the last time we saw them, this, it was... uh, It's time, Michael. How two human beings are surviving that is freaking beyond me. Yeah. But, you know, Michael escapes. And it, it, at the behest of the mentioning of a niece, and then we get into this whole family bloodline thing that this franchise is going to exist in for a while. But it, like, it almost like wakes him up, right? Yeah. And he clutches the hand and then sticks a thumbnail through one of these orderlies. But he's out. He's out and back. Now, I'm setting you up for what you were going to talk about, this kind of idea that you were kind of interested in. Okay, the pursuit of this young girl who's his niece is where we're going. Um, About the age of young Michael in his clown costume. I think he's, what, six then? Mm -hmm. So she's maybe eight, somewhere around there. But he's in the pursuit of a really young child that is his niece. I like the space of let's challenge the bloodline because maybe there are things further back that were unrecognized that would lead them and not to get to Toby and paranormal activity. But if we go down the cult of thorn, which eventually shows up, who sold the family rights to what demonic demonic entity that is now come for its payday. And that's at the behest of, the rest of the Haddonfield unwitting counties are unwilling or unmitigated disaster counties that he's going to lay claim to. We don't know. So, okay, I like that space. What I find interesting, though, is Michael has been a fairly strong individual, but they have turned him now at this point into some version of Mullah Ram who can just take body organs out of you with his bare skin, his yeah. bare hands. Yeah. Win. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're trying to amp the kills and amp the violence yeah, up. And, that's why, yeah. And certainly pushing your thumb through someone's forehead makes you at least raise your eyebrows saying, wow, that Michael guy's a very strong individual. Yeah. But as much as I like the mystery around Michael and why he does what he does and was it really about just not going trick-or-treating and, man, you better take your kids out if that's the case and come Monday night. Mm-hmm. This mystery is a little jump to Sharky. Yeah. He wouldn't be armed with a knife on a gurney in some transport in the back of an ambulance. That doesn't make sense. But we've seen him kill PJ Souls with strangulation. We've seen other avenues that he could have gone other than just smash your head in with his bare hands. Because super strong Michael is starting to feel very Jason-y to me. Yeah, a little bit. Jason's the brute of the group. Mm Mm-hmm. Freddie's the comedian of the group. The comedian, yeah. I don't know what Michael is because I kind of like him being 
the stoic of the group. Yeah. And for the most part, he still is. Sure. I mean, he's still just like... Yeah, he is. Silently sulking his way throughout this film. But I'm with you. Like, it, there's moments, especially when he rips out that hillbilly's throat, right, at the end of the movie. That's a Jason kill. I mean, it's just like, it's so brutal right. and intense. And I you know they got to amp it up for like a late 80s audience. that They want to see some guts, man. Uh, and I do too from uh, time to time, but... yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. They're like trying to fabricate that, which is, but at the same time, I'm also trying to fabricate how a human being can survive a, a gas explosion in a thing. Like how him and Loomis, that's the biggest suspension of disbelief, right? Is that we got to pick up from two. How are we going to get these two guys to just be alive again without being like horrifically burned and have limbs missing, right? Mm-hmm. So we already got to like kind of like give them a, a shred of the doubt to even continue the story. Uh, but I'm with you. And the Jamie Lloyd aspect, I think, is really interesting. And I think little Danielle Harris, this is her first movie. I think she's pretty good in it mm-hmm. uh, for a child performance. I think the whole familial bloodline shit with Lori in part two, it's always been dumb to me. Okay. Uh, I think you can still have the same stocking of Jamie and and her sister Rachel because she's wearing the clown costume. I mean, we've established in part one that Michael, once he sees Lori and Tommy early in that film, he's just like, I'm going to follow these people. Mm-hmm. Follows Tommy to school, Lori to school, down the streets, down the blocks, all night long. I mean, he could do that with them too, right? And he, if he sees, oh my God, this girl's wearing like what I wore that one night. Now I think you still have the same buy-in and they don't have to be related. They're just in his way. Right. And I think that could be interesting, but like we're so in the weeds of having to neatly tie up the motivation and I got to be, and then yeah, Michael's motivation does get really murky at times. I think you could have it both ways and we're just in familial bloodline territory right now. You know, it goes back to like number one, if Carpenter and Hill wanted to do a seasonal horror flick that, was around Halloween, but necessarily didn't have to be the boogeyman all the time. Yeah. You know, you get to what the sad problem with horror oftentimes is. One was plenty. It just did so well financially and it was made so cheaply. And there's a huge fan base that loved this character. Let's see if we can't keep it going. Because as you said, Hill and Carpenter wanted to do... Thanksgiving or whatever other holiday sort of fun horror fair they could. Yeah. But Michael was just so great. Yeah. And, and he became an icon like right away. It's a citizen Kane to a certain extent. It's Orson Welles citizen Kane in the horror, in the horror world. Yeah. You're never going to be able to replicate that. And you may try and you may get close and it may derail your career here and there. And you may have some other semi hits, but the curse of I see dead people, the yeah. curse of, you know, Rosebud. Rosebud yeah. And now the curse of Michael, unfortunately, force you to find a way to connect all of these dots. And where, you know, maybe we disagree on how you could sort of work the family thing. And I also see it your way too. It doesn't necessarily have to go to the family. I'm not as dead yeah. setting. I mean, him and my, him and him and Lori being brother and sister is pretty far fetched. Yeah. But Oh, it is what it is, I guess. Distant cousins could work or it doesn't matter. They're trying something. The problem is you try something into 
the receipts aren't as good. Yeah. You completely walk away with it to a totally different avenue in three. The receipts are worse. And now your franchise is in real trouble. And now no one even wants no to touch it. No one wants it. to touch it. Yeah. So the one guy that comes back in goes to, well, crap. Now I have a mess on my hands because people want this character. I have to figure out how I'm going to rectify all the stuff we said in number two. God, Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't want to come back because she's busy doing trade in places yeah. or whatever. Oh, no, she, she's way done with horror what, at this point. What is she even doing in Fish Called Wanda? Oh, she's doing a Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, she's doing horror and comedy and a bunch of other things that are far. I mean, not horror. She's doing comedy and like real drama. Blue Steel. I actually like that film. Mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So how do I put all this together? We got Donald Pleasance back and... I guess we'll just make it work. So yeah, go back to the original formula, beat by beat by beat by beat by Everything you're saying is like, had to have been verbatim what Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams said when they were like, yes, rebooting Star Wars. Like, yes, they fucked up this thing so bad with three prequels that everybody hated. How do we get the loyal fans back? Well, let's go back just to redo the, it. Re, the original film and kind of like copy it with some new blood in it. And I kind of like The Force Awakens. Like, I think it's a very serviceable Star Wars film. But it's the same thing. It's like you got to dip your toe a little into what's familiar with doing some new stuff that's kind of new, unique, and crazy. So, so Michael's chasing these these people um, through Rachel and, and uh, Jamie. Yeah. Through Haddonfield. You get the usual tropes that you would expect. The sort of unwilling cops, but you get a new introduction that I think is going to play out itself, I think, in a bad way. But goes back to what I spoke about earlier, and that's after Loomis has spent all of this time trying to fix, figure out, or kill Michael. Yeah. He's off the rails. This guy's batshit. Hey, Lonnie, get your ass out of here. We know it's been set up. Oh, yeah. you got some sound? Okay. Yeah. Loomis coming in hot. Why wasn't I notified? About what? You know damn well about what. You let them take it out of here. For Christ's sake, spare me the speech. I've listened to it for a decade. The fact is that Michael Myers was a federal patient and a federal prisoner, therefore he is subject to federal law. We're not talking about any ordinary prisoner, Hoffman. We are talking about evil on two legs. (laughs) I can see this is useless. Do you know what today is? Another date. Every day I look at myself in the mirror, and, and every day I remember. Look at me, Hoffman. Take a good look. I don't want anyone to have to live through that night again. I've said this before. I think you're the one who needs mental help. Yes, Dr. Hoffman. I see. I see, thank you. Apparently there was an accident just south of Mill Creek near the... Loomis! He's been telling that story of the boogeyman to anyone he can see and talk to for the better part of a decade. And they are exhausted with him. Even in the first one, the the grave diggers like, Oh God, dude, seriously. And the, and, um, Annie's a bracket bracket. Here's it like three different times. And he's just like, he, he's been off the rails. And then when we get into two, 
and he's running down the streets like a crazy person. I shot him six times, and he's ready to just blow everybody away mm-hmm. that looks like Michael Myers. Poor Ben Tramer, RIP. Yeah. Uh, just as crazy, so we could have an argument. Who's crazier in this movie? Is it Michael or is it Loomis? Because goddamn. <laughs> right. That's the ground that I think this movie sets up that they really should have hammered mm-hmm. is if Loomis is the one guy that can decode the riddle of Michael and putting the people of Haddonfield's fears to rest by doing this terrible evil in, but he is in the state that he is and he's going to go through some pretty crazy lengths in order to finally figure out his patient. Who really is the bad guy then? I've been saying it. I think I even said it in the first one. I was like, man, Loomis is more sinister than Michael at this point. I mean, yeah, and Donald Pleasance delivers a really good sinister crazy guy. Oh gosh, he's just doesn't he? He's just so unhinged. It's just yeah, his his patterns of speech are broken, and he sort of says sentences that don't make sense. He even played the sound. I remember. You remember what? He doesn't even finish. He just goes off on this other thing. Like he doesn't complete thoughts. That's the key to unlocking Michael's. Padlock. Yeah. Jesus Christ, you all are screwed. Well, I think he's done trying to like unlock or like decode like what makes him tick. He's figured it out like in 1972. He's like, this dude's evil. Do not let him out. And so he's just kind of like this like harbinger of doom that just tries to keep him locked up and gets really pissed off when he gets let out. But that scene at the the gas station where they kind of have like a one mano y mano little moment. And he's like, Michael, why don't you, you want to kill somebody, kill me. And like, leave those people in peace. God damn you, Michael. He just unloads on him. Like, dude, he's just, he's he's ready to take him out. I mean, like, there's no negotiating no. with Michael Myers anymore. No. And it's just like, look, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. But I'm like a withered old man who's been blown up in a hospital. Like, he's a little outmatched. And like, Michael just has like su- supreme regeneration powers running around in the in his new spangled suit. But... Loomis, it's just, it's pleasant going, Michael, like, I, I love it. There's, yeah, he's great. There's some charm there. And then the the state that he looks, he needs a mask. Because his <laughs> face is trashed, as it should be from the fire in the hospital. <laughs> when he shows up after his first appearance walking down the hall, you said it today, and that's what I thought when I first saw it today. It looks like someone stuck a fried egg on his cheek. <laughs> And that the scar changes throughout the movie, thank God, because they get the yolk piece out of that middle of his cheek yeah, and they yeah. kind of smooth it out into whatever the hell it is. Whatever, yeah, deformity he's, he's got going on. But that crazy guy who sees the ambulance in the lake or pond or whatever that is and just jumps in in his clothes and doesn't even considering ever finding a new pair of shoes that aren't soaking, that guy's off. Oh, yeah. He's off. And so... If that guy is responsible for the protection of this little girl, which ultimately will probably put him in charge of her, who's in worse shape, the little girl, Loomis, or Michael, or us, because that little girl needs to be in protective <coughs> services from both of those people. Exactly. Yeah. So there, and that that's all really good stuff. I like to put myself in the shoes of the citizens of Haddonfield, 1988. 10 years removed from this horrific spree killing of Myers. 16 people, I think, is the number they keep throwing around. But, like, everyone knows who Myers is. And, you know, I'll play a little clip here. I mean, the school kids are really cruel to Jamie. 
Because they all know who Michael Myers is. It's like urban legend in Haddonfield. The boogeyman, right? He was real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think these people will be talking about Loomis a whole lot more as well, too. Like, oh, that bald doctor that was running around the streets going to shoot people? Like, yeah, that was a crazy guy, too. Yeah. And then now he's back. Gosh, like, they must be really stressed out. But, no, I'm with you. It's Loomis is venturing into super unhinged territory. And there's some shreds of, like, humanity and rationale and whatever hero qualities but man once we once we pull pull into part five next year crazy man like there's no rationality there like and it's i don't know if that was pleasance or the script but he read what was given to him Mm -hmm. drinking wine uh when he was wasn't filming just getting belligerently drunk like that's just the man who he was was he trashed on set oh yeah gosh he was a notorious drinker there's a story i can't remember where i heard it but danielle harris years later was like, gosh, like Donald Pleasant's always had like this like interesting smelling breath. And it wasn't until years later I realized that that was the smell of bourbon. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so he would just show up just drunk, just read his lines, spout crazy, and just probably be done with it. It's awesome. But I think he liked playing the character at the same time. Mm-hmm. Much like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing loved playing Dracula and Van Helsing, I think Pleasance does get some joy out of it. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is some, there's some, there's something there. parts in this movie where I feel really bad for her, for the Jamie Lloyd character. I mean, she's both parents killed in I think they say car accident, but who who even knows? In a foster home, living in the town where all this horrible shit happened, the kids at school are just bullies and just merciless to her. There's not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel for her. I mean, she's truly lost and mm-hmm. She really wants to gravitate towards Rachel, right? I mean, some sort of solace of, like, a a friend or a sister. And she's, like, begging her, like, do you think of me as, like, a sister? Like, a real si-? Like, she wants some sort of familial bond that isn't tied to Michael Myers, right? Uh, and I think Rachel does feel that void, too, and becomes a much better protector than Loomis does in this movie. Uh, but she's getting the Tommy Doyle treatment, right? Here's the bullies saying the boogeyman's going to come get you. It's, I mean, we're doing that beat again. But how does that work for you? Does it make it her sympathetic? I mean, we want her to succeed. And I don't know, maybe the way the film plays out, maybe that's kind of why, like, the ending is... I kind of I kind of like the ending and the direction that they do decide to go down. It's super dark, and we'll, we'll get there. But I think she's a pretty likable little character. Sure. It helps that she's a pretty talented actress like you brought up, so she doesn't take you out of the scene with bad acting and wooden line reading. Yeah, and this kid that is alone and haunted by the memory of her mother. So it's also an acknowledgement, isn't that, man, we really need Lori in this movie in some manner, so we got to even put her in here as a ghost, Mrs. DeWinter. As, 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 as something, yeah. So she's in there. 
And as a production still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that there's this shoebox full of memories. Yeah. That every time Jamie looks into, she seems to be troubled with these really eerie images of Michael haunting her. Like it's, so where do you go with that? I miss my mom. And anytime I try to remember her, then this other thing creeps in there. For me, you're laying the groundwork for what might be an unstable mental state <coughs> that I think plays really well into the end if you want to go down that route. Yeah. You know, you look at a picture of your mother, here's my mom at 17, and the next thing is you're huddled in the floor in the fetal position, clutching, clutching this shoebox full of pictures and articles and such, as these terrible images of Michael stalks you through the house and kills you and your family. Yeah. God, that's brutal, man. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Um, find myself pulling for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually quite a few people in this film that I was sort of pulling for. Even the surrogate, I stole your man boyfriend. I stole your, you know, the girl, the Brady. Yeah. Yeah. His daughter, the girl. Oh, gosh. Uh, Whatever her name is. I think it's Kelly. Yeah. yeah. I kind of, I liked her too. Yeah. Um, That matters mm-hmm. because, you know, they're, they're fodder. But it matters more if I like them when they're killed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we have yet too many just like throwaway characters no. in this one. They're all set up pretty well. And yeah, Rachel and Brady, they have to break off their date because she has to babysit Jamie tonight. And it's kind of a source of contention. And he just is like, yeah, see, ya, I'm going to the, the sheriff's daughter. Um, always really like that shirt that she had there that says cops do it by the book. It's just there's something really funny about that. Yeah. But. Yeah, Michael's in town here. And in a way that could only work in 1988 without cell phones and modes of communication. Like, Michael does a fairly effective job of cutting everyone off in this thing. The the town's power supply, killing the whole police force. Jesus Christ, like the Terminator in there. Uh, You know, everything's dark. You know, there's no way to, like, let people know. The power lines are down. They can't, like, reach. They can't call long distance. So you can't even call the state troopers to come in for any backup. Like, they're truly kind of cut off a little bit. And I, I like that the film, you know, kind of becomes like a like a fortress movie for a good 25, 30 mm-hmm. minutes of this thing. Uh, but then the original Evil Dale, evil Dies Tonight mob mentality. What's going on? One home, Earl's police business. What the hell did this? Looks like to me you're out of business. Now I want some answers. I haven't got the time and the patience to argue with you. Now go home to your families where you belong. You forget oh, who's paying yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Michael Myers. Oh, He's come home to kill. Let it be, Earl. Let the police handle it. Like the last time? How many people killed back then? How many kids? Al here lost his boy ten years back. Well, not this time, Ben. I'll handle this my own way. Fry his ass. Son of a bitch, you just created a lynch mob. You haven't got a police force. These men may be the only defense you've got. So they put out the APB for a curfew. Everyone's got to get inside. There's a crazy man running around. Michael goes and just eviscerates the entire Haddonfield police force. Ain't going to be the first time this happens because in part five, they're getting blown out again. So, like, don't go apply to be a police officer in Haddonfield. Your job security is not very good. No hazard pay either. No, yeah, no way. So they think they they, they get all this, much like Tommy Doyle and his mob in Halloween Kills, 
these hillbilly rednecks, you know, mount up with their shotguns and their and their rifles, their hunting rifles, and they're like, okay, we're going to go find Myers. And I kind of like that. That You can kind of see how angry they are about all the carnage that was bestowed 10 years prior, right? It's fresh to them, like, well, we don't want a repeat of that, so we're just going to go take care of it because you guys didn't do that last time. And you let him massacre a bajillion people. But then they go and they just blow away. Ted Hollister just gets blown away on his, like, nightly walk, mm-hmm. minding his own business. It becomes a problem. Yeah. And I like that the sheriff is like, well, I can't stay here because I got to go address the problem. I mean, we've got people killing each other out there. Mm-hmm. And I like that they're walled off in this house. They nailed themselves uh, in with all the shutters and the doors. And we have oil lanterns and we're making coffee and cocoa and we're really trying to hunker down. But the only problem is they locked Myers inside this house with them, right? With them. Yep. This is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. This is unique to ha- Halloween where most Halloween movies boil down to running around the streets, trying to evade chase serpentine duck and cover. Like let's get away from the boogeyman. We have had very few entries where we're actually like stuck in a singular location and we're locked inside with him and see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Agreed. And to Mustafa Cotter or Alan B. McElroy or whoever came up with this idea to not spend the whole movie, but a, a little chunk of it here and see how that works is I, I think it's unique and I think it works in this mythos, this Halloween franchise. And we get some pretty gnarly kills here. I mean... I, I told you to pay attention to that one moment where Rachel's talking to the deputy and he kind of like emerges in the shadows in the background. And if you blink, you'll miss it because I've missed it on multiple occasions. But it's a nice, cool little nod there. But then we get uh, this moment. I thought you might like some coffee. It's pretty boring out here. They'd fix the power. At least we'd have some MTV while we wait for the cavalry. Again, something that kind of feels like a Jason kill. Like it, she takes a shotgun to the torso and gets pinned up against a wall. I also like that he doesn't use the gun, right? He's an impaler. Yeah. So he still uses it as, as he normally would, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask you, it's kind of an awkward situation in this house a little bit here. I mean, with the whole B-plot of this film is Rachel, Brady, and the sheriff's daughter. Kelly. And, yeah, and now they're like in here all together, and it's weird and awkward, and like he was... They were gonna have sex on the on the on the carpet here, and then they get interrupted by dad. Like it's just like a whole bunch of just cacophony of, of just bullshit. Mm-hmm. But it's a nice little tension. I, I wouldn't want to be in this house. Like that's a little scarier than Michael uh, running around. I think that's one of the spaces that this film really works in. Mm-hmm. The apparatus is in place to protect you from Michael are almost as dangerous as Michael himself. And whether that's Loomis or just the proximity of closeness in this house, I really like that because in much the same way the thing works on the claustrophobia thing and then really who's your friend and who isn't. Yeah. 
that's not to the same level in this, but it's definitely there. And it also then creates a relationship that we have because they put you in a love triangle and man, those work really well in film. Love triangles are great. Yeah. I love what Kelly tells Rachel. Why is the first time you're going to happen? Why is up what guys are after? And if you don't get on board, this is going to happen to you over and over. And he's not married. So fuck off. If I want him, he's mine. I love it. Yeah. And it makes me feel bad for Rachel too, because she's fairly likable herself. Yeah. And you kind of want them to see, see, see her with some happiness like that. And it's like, it's kind of like a real growing moment for her. Uh, no, it, it works for me. It's mm-hmm. it's tense as hell, and she throws coffee on her, so she's got to go change that great T-shirt. Yeah, um, and then gets impaled here. So, no sheriff. Loomis took off. He's running down the streets in classic Loomis fashion. So it's just her and Brady yeah. and and little Jamie. And oh man, here comes Myers again too, and kill uh, crushes Brady's. He sticks like I think he sticks a thumb in his cheek and then like crushes his neck. Yeah. And then we get up on the roof here. I got to tell you again, we're in territory that like Halloween exists in rooms, the streets, in corridors in the hospital and this roof business, it kind of works for me. Yeah, me too. It's really tense. And it's just like, and it's, it's two characters that I think are super outmatched to the power of Myers. So I'm really invested in how they're going to, how the hell they're going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about superior and anterior positions of just like, whether it's sports or fighting or fisticuffs or whatever, they're kind of putting themselves at a disadvantage. They have nowhere to go but up. But then how do you get down from this three-story house mm-hmm. other than, like, plummeting and, like, potentially dying? Yeah. And so she's trying to lower Jamie from this thing, but you're getting slashed at left and right. I mean, th- there's some good tension here with, with Myers. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Him up on the roof also lends to... Gosh, this guy really can be everywhere at once, which is going to matter a little bit later on because he sort of appears in the middle of the road out of nowhere, which is miles down from the last place that we'd seen him. I think he pulls a Max Katie. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. You kind of start to wonder, is there, I don't want to say supernatural, but no, I guess can, for you, lack of a better. You can say it. Is there a supernatural element to him that allows, I don't want to say teleportation, but an omniscient element to his character where no matter what you do or say, he's not going to match you with any verbiage, Mm -hmm. but he's one step ahead of you. Or if not, he is mirroring your move and it's even more effective than what you just did. Yeah. He's on the roof. Yeah. How is he on the roof? Yeah. Came up a different window or something. Right. Yeah. And once you're on the roof and it's a long way down and he kind of really has you now, because that's the thing about him, isn't it? Yeah. He likes to sort of trap you to where there's no more outs, whether mm-hmm. it's a closet yeah. or whether it's, um, yeah, we could go on and on. I thought about that watching the original when, on ja- the roof. when Jamie traps herself in the closet. I was like, that's kind of a stupid move, but like, where else are you going to go? She's not going to jump out of a two-story house. Well, she tries to trick him too. She opens the door to make him think, oh, he she must have gone out this this bedroom door. He doesn't take the bait. And you see, and you know what happens in these scenes is like you get stuck and you get cornered and then you have no choice but to fight back. Right. And Rachel's going to do the same thing. That's why I really like her as a character. Mm-hmm. Her hanging on those gutters being slashed at is, that's horrifying. Like, that's just like, yeah. you want no piece of that. And that, Jamie's alone now. Mm-hmm. She thinks Rachel's dead and she thankfully runs into Loomis or maybe not thankfully. But Matt, we haven't talked about the big elephant in the room, mm. something that we have to do with any Halloween movie that we talk about. We got to talk about Maskgate. 
1988, Halloween mask. What is your verdict on the mask this time out? Uh, least of my three favorites so far. This is third of the three we've seen so far. It's too white and it's there's no contour to the face. It's very flat. It's flat in color. There's no nose. There's no yeah. um, worry lines that kind of go from your nose to the uh, sides of your mouth. It just it's flat. Yeah, it's a little too emotionless. It's it's yeah. hard to kind of pinpoint features. It's something about the hair. I think my Myers masks live and die with the hairstyle. Mm-hmm. This one's like a little too slicked back or something. It's a little too clean and not enough like poofy like the original, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so the mask story was one and two used the same mask, the original William Shatner uh, Star Trek mask. So 10 years later, we don't have access, and that thing's probably in horrific shape at this point. Yeah. So the production crew, they commissioned the original creator of the mask, Don Post Studios, to, we need a new Myers mask. So they used a similar mold, but a little bit different. So it came out a little bit different. Uh, but when they got delivered to the set, it was all fucked up. It was had pink skin and blonde hair. Now, do you remember in the scene coming up in yes. the schoolhouse? Blonde. Blonde Myers. He's blonde, right. Yeah. They really screwed the pooch on this one. So, like, that happened because long day of filming, someone grabbed the wrong mask, and they just, at that point, they were all tired out. We're like, you know what, fuck it. Shoot with the blonde mask. We'll fix it and post it. And it did, they just never did, right? Nope. And so, it's always, that, that scene's always really jumped out at me, but that's a reason for the, the mask looking so strange is it's not the same original mold. It's a recreation. And so now we're two times removed on, like, what this thing really looks like. And yeah, it's it's missing some, it's missing some gravity to it. Some something about it is just off. And I think yeah, the contours or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I thought would have been a great solution, and I think they could have fixed a problem with this franchise going forward because Maskate, we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about it for, for a long time. But why not just keep him in his bandages? Yeah. So you remember when he was back yeah. at the the gas station? He's bandaged in the jumpsuit. Just have him walk around like that. Yeah. Right. It's a new look for Myers. It's not the, the, like a, a plastic Halloween mask, but then this series could have really gotten away with what the shape looks like. I mean, he could look like a few different things, not just mm-hmm. the same white mask, right? It's true. I've always wanted that. I was like, why did they never go that route? That that that, that could have been kind of cool. And it, it already kind of does look like a... It fits. A mask. It's white still. It's just a little bit different. Think they missed an opportunity with that one. God, how did Don Post Studios screw that up that bad? I don't know. Man, did they not see the film? Who the hell thought it'd be a good idea to make him a blonde? <laughs> boy, oh boy. Their mold, it just it just wasn't there, right? I guess not. Well, Jesus. Loomis gets thrown through a, a school door, and then Rachel comes and kind of gets Jamie out of, out of the jam, and then thankfully the hillbillies show up, so it's like, we got to get out of town, let the state troopers deal with Myers, let's get out of here, and... I'm convinced, yeah, Myers pulls a Max Katie and hides underneath this truck because as they're on their way out of town, he emerges on the back bed of the the pickup truck and dispatches of all these hillbillies Mm -hmm. in pretty gruesome fashion. He throws them off and everything. And then, yeah, Earl, the lead hillbilly, he just, like, opens up his neck. So, again, we're in, like, the same boat again. It's just, it's Rachel and Jamie and, like, oh, my God, Myers is, like, Everywhere. And pissed off. Like, he's just like, he's like, gosh, like, I just want to kill you guys at this point. Like, you guys are really bugging me. Mm. And so, to Rachel's credit, I mean, she really, you know, takes the lead command here, runs him over, runs him off the road. And 
you know, we get that moment where there's some curiosity with Jamie, right? I think Jamie kind of wants to define what the evil is and what her family lineage is. To her credit, she is looking for some sort of familial bond, right? Yeah. Rachel, I'm a sister, right? Like a real sister. But here is real blood, right? It's my uncle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So her rocking up to him and just kind of like cradling his hand and kind of seeing it like, I can buy that. I can buy the curiosity there. But then is there some sort of supernatural transference? Yeah. It's hard not to kind of go there. But Myers gets gunned down like crazy now. Like he gets he gets the predator in the jungle treatment mm. from the state troopers and the hillbillies and falls down a mine shaft. So I always wondered this, you know, whenever I watch the old Universal Monsters, I always really wanted to know A, how are they going to dispatch with the monster for this particular entry? And is it satisfying enough? Like Frankenstein going out in the, the flaming windmill at the end of the first one is pretty good. Him going out in the blowing up uh, uh, castle at the end of Bride, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Is this a good end for Myers for this film? You know, getting shot a bajillion times and falling down a mine ship? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, sure. Uh, Burning him doesn't work. Yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I wouldn't say shooting him really works either, (laughs) according to Loomis. But if you shoot him and he falls down... 60 feet into the middle of the earth, then it does feel like you've sent him to hell and at least he's got to climb out of there. So yeah, there's presents some possibility that maybe that finally did the trick. Maybe doubtful, but maybe that did the trick. What I thought was really great though, was when Jamie gets out of the truck to go see the corpse of Myers or the, the coma, the comatose state of Myers laying in that graveyard. Yeah. What seems to intrigue her the most is watching his hand move around the handle on the knife. Mm-hmm. It's not his the rise and fall of his chest with breaths, or it's not a leg twitch. It's his fascination in his grabbing that knife. And for me, that knife in Halloween plays into so many metaphors and, and reasons why Michael does what he does. Yeah. For her to be fascinated by that, man, not to be creepy on the show, but yeah. I thought, God, is that like penis envy? Mm-hmm. And I want to be him because of that. And... She walks over and you can see the transference and then he's going to get up and I think either stab her or protect her. It's really debatable. That'd be cool. Because there is cause where he might want to protect his offspring at this point, which is what she now is. But instead she ducks, she runs to Rachel and then they unload on him with, you know, Bonnie and Clyde style fire. That's a good point to bring up of protection over harm. I mean, the one instance in the school, I mean, he takes Loomis out, but then he's just, he doesn't like really try to bring a knife down on Jamie. Right. In any part of this film, it's right. always the other people around her. That would be pretty cool. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's territory that this franchise definitely doesn't go into, no. but um, it's a good, it's a good moniker here. But yeah, we dispatch a Myers. We go back to the Carruthers house. They've survived a very hellish evening, right? I mean, indeed running up on roofs and in schoolhouses and on the side of the roads. And it's just been crazy town. Loomis comes and he looks like shit, but it's like, Oh my gosh, they're not going to forget this, but thankfully we've survived the night. Right. And then we go to classic Halloween first person POV. And if we don't do this often in this franchise, the original entry a little bit in part two, but like usually it's third person omniscient. We're showing Myers Mm -hmm. 
We go back to that classic POV, and then we put a little slit on the camera lens. We're like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then we see the mom getting a bath ready for little Jamie, and then we just hear screams off screen, and then Loomis freaking out in classic Loomis fashion at little Jamie standing there in the same clown outfit as OG Myers with the bloody scissors, and he knows, holy shit. There's another one. It's happening again. Mm-hmm. And I joked with you just offhandedly. He raises his gun, and he's ready to like put her down. Do her in. Because he's had an he's up to here with the crazy psychos in his life. Yeah. Thankfully, Sheriff Meeker stops him. But then everyone comes in and is just completely aghast. To you, the viewer, as much as we've liked Jamie up to this point in the film, what do we think of this ending? I buy it. Yeah. I'm not ready to start fresh with Jamie as the new Michael because I have already created such a relationship with this Michael. But again... It seems like for as much as the anthology idea that I pitched you earlier, what happens after, and then you claim happens at the end of this film that I'm going to watch this weekend. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're teasing it out a little bit. They're playing in that space. You can only go through so much hard tragedy at that time in your life or at any time in your life yeah. before it breaks you. Yeah. But what does it break you into? And in this case... For a little girl that's struggling to find true familial bloodlines. And this guy seems to be a survivor. Michael does at least seem to be a survivor. Yeah. Huh. I do sort of buy like the admiration piece that she would take from him. And the greatest way you can admire Michael is emulate him, dress like him. Yeah. Lo and behold, what do we have? Yeah. Exactly. I I, really, I think I dig it too. And I like how sinisterly dark it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really likable, again, and a child too. It's, this is also a territory you don't really go into in a lot of these movies other than the original opening scene of Halloween with when they reveal it. And it's this six-year-old boy that killed the sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but she looks mean. She looks pissed off. And she it looks like evil, to kind of quote Halloween ends a little bit, evil doesn't die. It just changes shape, right? Oof, yeah. So I love it. And I love that they leave you with that. And then they don't they go back and they don't even play the Halloween theme again. They play that like tone setting opening credit music mm-hmm. for the credits. And you're like, I think you're really put out by that. I think you're really like troubled by how the film ended. It didn't end happy. No. We killed the boogeyman, but we still ended in a pretty grim territory. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like it. It's one of the reasons I've always really appreciated this fourth entry this the force awakens of the halloween franchise yeah we want to call it that i have a couple little things here for you um just some little anecdotes there was an alternate opening to this film so these are additional scenes written into mcelroy's screenplay but they didn't they just ran out of time and money to do them they did want to start with exterior halloween 1978 hospital and show the building blowing up and then Loomis and Myers like flying out of this building and Loomis screaming ablaze like Harvey Two-Face telling them, the, the authorities to let him burn, let him burn, like don't. And that's what they did in Kills, right? Do you remember they were mm-hmm. driving away and the the fire department was, and Lori was like, let it burn, like don't put out that fire, let yeah. that guy toast, man. Yeah, yeah. That would have been kind of cool to see. Sure. Like Loomis, Donald Pleasance on fire, 
in the street telling the authorities not to put out the flames Let of Michael burn. Myers. I love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but that's kind of expensive. We got to recreate a hospital and blow it up and then get an actor on fire. And yeah, that's I can see why they cut that. Yeah. Uh, an extended chase scene in the school, like in the cafeteria where Michael was going to be like, Flipping tables, and they were going to do some nice kind of cat and mouse around, like, the cafeteria establishment. And what I appreciate about these tossed-away ideas is that they don't ever go in the garbage. They just, like, go into the idea pile because that that shows up in Halloween H2O, that mm-hmm. flipping table uh, nonsense. I mentioned the mask, uh, mask gate. Uh, and then the final thing, so on top of being on the roof of this house— being chased by him. That house was also supposed to be on fire from one of the oil lanterns catching the basement on fire. Oh. And so that's the reason they kept going up was because the flames were just ascending skyward. Cool. That could have been cool, but again, for a little Trankus movie, like that's that's also pricey too. That's pricey. And I think it it's it's fine how it is, but yeah. Those are all three really good ideas from them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So again, I think they kind of bottle them up and put them in the idea basket. And like, we'll come back to that because there's some okay stuff there. Uh, one of the pitched ideas was picking up with Lori Strode living in Chicago. She was writing for a magazine and had a daughter and she was like, like kind of like covering like mu- musical bands and like Meyer showed up and it was kind of like a, almost like an MTV disc jockey like type scenario, but with Lori and Michael and it sounded kind of okay. Mm. Like that was kind of an interesting pitch that they got. Yeah. But it came out, it did some pretty decent bank, enough bank uh, to green light five that would come out in the next year. (laughs) One year later, this movie's coming out in your Mustafa and you're already like, get to work on that next one. Like you got two months to make it two months to write a screenplay and then the movie's got to come out. We just don't do that anymore. Do we like, like that's just like we with COVID production, whatever streaming service, things move a whole lot slower now. Right. Yeah. But the only way you get that is that they shoot two of them at the same time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And that happens on occasion, but yeah, it's not as bad as it used to be waiting, you know, five years for empire strikes back post new hope, but it's a good year and a half to two years. Paranormal Activity and Saw dabbled in that space a little bit where there every year there was one. kind of like a new one coming out, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Paranormal, okay. though, would be really easy to do that with. That's all found footage. That's, that's a little cheaper. A quick, easy shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Questions for you? Yep. What is your favorite tasting note, your favorite tasting kill of Halloween 4? The one that stuck out to me this time was the gun. Through Kelly, yeah. When he doesn't blast her, because that's not his deal. That goes against every single thing that I have in mind as to Michael and the penetration (laughs) and the knife. The fact that he just (laughs) impales her with the gun, that's Michael. It's not the piercing thumb that can break your your forehead. I I, I thought that was a really good one. I I like that one. You got one? I think Brady's death is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to go with the, the hillbilly getting his neck opened up again. It's a little extreme for, for Myers, but a Myers that's been blown up comatose for 10 years. I'll buy his little supernatural strength here and there. Again, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're tiptoeing around that territory where how's this guy getting from place to place? How's he surviving that? How did he survive getting blown up by ether? We're there. 
So him opening up a guy's throat, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's 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 nicely gruesome for for that particular uh, end of the film. What's the? Oh my god! Moment of Halloween Four. Loomis on the stairwell yelling at Jamie in his not only burned <laughs> state but now bloodied state, having been thrown through the window pane. No! He's terrifying looking in that. That's our good guy. Yeah. That's our expert on what's going on. And we're all doomed. <laughs> good for Donald Pleasance in his drunken state to present that manner. Yeah, uh, you showed up. Of fury and, and anxiety. It does it really well, actually. It's his nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's like, oh, gosh, here we go again. Who's a worse leader against a terrible, formidable foe? Mm. Captain Quint, Hamish, or Donald Pleasance as Loomis? <laughs> Who would you least like to be aligned with? It might be Loomis. I think it might be. Captain Quint at least knew how to turn the boat around. He knew how to do and shoot a harpoon into a fin. Like, he was yeah. really good at that. But, like, God, that guy was hard drinking on that thing, too, and just was, like, mm-hmm. willing to capsize this boat as long as he killed the shark. Like, that's a crazy person, too. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, uh, he's got some knowledge and some skills, but in the, the Deathly Hunger Games... I don't know. I think I need someone a little bit better than Woody Harrelson leading my cause, right? We're all doomed. Oh, gosh. Oh, my, oh, my God. I got to pick that uh, rooftop bit. That's always stuck out to me. Yeah. I don't think since we've ever seen Myers attacking someone on a roof. Uh, so it's it's unique. It's, it's, it's disadvantageous to our lead characters. And it's just crazy to see him walking up there slashing about. It's just something weird about it, but it works for me. Who's the master distiller on Halloween 4? Probably Jamie. Danielle Harris. Yeah, probably Danielle Harris. I think it's her movie. I think I'm going there too. Yeah. Per kid performance barometer, I be, I think th- this is it's pretty good. I, I won't say it's like Haley Joel Osment, like Oscar-nominated performance that he gives in The Sixth Sense, but... Kids make or break movies, whether you like them or buy into them. Like they can destroy a movie, but based on how bad they badly they perform, and I think she's likable, and I think that's why I buy the end a little bit more. Is like she, I think she really sells it pretty well. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah not giving it to Donald Pleasance as cheesily as he hams his way through this movie. Um, yeah, there, there's a few uh, uh, possible options, but yeah, I think Daniel Harris. How are you going to rate and grade Halloween 4? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you going for this one? Call. That's a strong vote, though, considering where 3 left it. Uh, we've yeah. at least got the thing back on some recognizable path with the idea in my mind of what I want Halloween to be. Yeah. Uh, as hamily and cheesily as, as Donald Pleasance is in this film, I'm glad that he's in it because one of the two of them, and preferably both Loomis and, and Laurie Strode, but at least we got him, and that harkens back to the original piece, what's so important. Um, yeah, call. Good call film. Yeah. I think I'm with you. Yeah, call. Almost, yeah, I think maybe call plus. Yeah. As per franchise, I think this is one of the more solid entries in here. It's It really gets back to basics. Yeah. I think it has good moments, good characters. It has a tone. It's kind of creepy. I think that Salt Lake City filming location i think works really well for the film yeah. um but yeah it's not gonna touch a candle to the original and I, I actually don't think it's better than uh part two in the hospital but uh 
per where we're going to go with this franchise and other weird, strange places, I think you could do a whole lot worse than Halloween 4, and I think it's a nice, tight story, and uh, it opens up a lot of questions, and we talked about them for almost an hour. Longer than the film. <laughs> yeah, longer than the movie, but yeah, I think, yeah, call plus. I'll go call plus. This Good. is, I, I, I like Halloween 4. I, I find myself rewatching this one then a lot of the other entries in this franchise. Yeah. So excellent. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Final entry into our serial killer cask for this year, so I'm going to give you a final girl question. Okay. I'm giving you three versions of Laurie Strode, Jesse. All right. You have Laurie Strode from 1 and 2. Okay. You have Laurie Strode from H2O, and you have Laurie Strode from this latest Halloween trilogy. Okay. You're only going to need two of them, but here's what I want you to do with the two of your choice. Okay. Which of those three Laurie's do you want to see take down Freddy? And which of those three lorries do you want to see take down Jason? We can't do Michael because that was what the whole movie was. So you get two choices. Which, or maybe maybe not so much which do you want to see. Which do you think is most capable of taking down Jason? Which is most capable of taking down Freddy? That's a great question. Thank you. All righty. I think I got it. All right. Okay. So for Jason, I think we need strength, brute force. Yep. We need some firepower. So I think I'm going with this latter iterations, Lori. I'm with you there. Doomsday prepper, Lori, however yeah. however she's portrayed. Got to be her. I think she could put up a good fight against Jason, whether right. through guns, explosives, traps. I mean, there's a great scene at the end of that 2018 Halloween where she knows Michael's in the house. And so she locks Judy Greer in the basement, right? And then so she goes through each room and she has like a trap door at each threshold. Mm -hmm. And so she's like clear, locked, clear, locked. And then the end game of that is like locked, blowing up my house. Like I think she could figure out a way to dispatch. get Jason. And whether that's talking him down and confusing him, like dressing up in mother's sweater, I think that would be a better Lori uh, to handle that threat. Okay, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Yep. <coughs> this is the tricky one. Freddie. I might go OG one and two Lori. Okay. Uh, a little more hey, Heather Langenkampy, a little more virginal Lori. Uh, might be, you know, that's also the really great thing about the original too is how quick Lori's able to think on her feet. Mm -hmm. If I'm pinned in a closet and I got a psycho that's going to bust down this door at any second, I am not thinking to turn this wire hanger into an impaling instrument. There's just no way. Like I'm not like my brain's not there. Yeah. And because Lori doesn't want to die there and get slashed to death, thinks on her feet and slashes him like right in the eye. Like I think that type of ingenuity like would fit Freddie best, especially early Freddie one, two injuries. Like not like right. Turning you into a meatball Freddie or a cockroach. Like, I don't know who's going to go up against that. Uh, I think I'll go with young, young Lori. What about you? Yeah, no, I would agree with both of those, actually. I kicked the tires on the H201 for Freddy. 
But actually, <coughs> this isn't the question I gave you. I think the H2O Laurie Strode is best equipped to take down Michael, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the virginal but intelligent Laurie that we see in one and two is really, you need, you need, you need fisticuffs. You need power for Jason. Yeah. You need to be smarter than Freddie because you need to see where he's put you and in a dream state because there is no bounds and anything sort of goes. If you can think it up, you kind of become like Green Lantern versus Sinestro. Whatever you can use as a yeah. weapon and weaponize it, then you have it. And the hanger, um, the, the idea sewing, to... The sewing needle. The, the sewing needle. Mm-hmm. The opening of the door, quick-witted to try to trick him to go somewhere else while you hide in the closet. Yeah, I'm not thinking of that. No way. Yeah, no. No, I'm probably going out that window. And busting your legs. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you on both of those two. There is a great moment, not to begrudge H2O's Lori, there's a great moment in that movie where she gets her son, Josh Hartnett, and Michelle Williams out of that school, and she busts the lock, breaks open a thing holding an axe, and then, like, walks up, like, this pathway. And the way they shoot it in, like, a great crane shot with, like, her shadow, like, elongated against this pathway. Screaming Michael is, like, the theme comes in. Like, it's such a great mm-hmm. Halloween moment of, like, come get me, motherfucker. Like, it's 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 really good. So, God, yeah. it might be time to watch that again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got its moments. You know, J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in the cold open. Yeah. Uh, LL Cool J's floating around that thing too, and Adam Arkin. Like it's 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 got it's it's the scream. It's yeah. Halloween's response to scream. scream, right? It's like that dimension slasher of the late nineties. Yeah, but great question. Yeah, it's it's crazy too that Lori's just you know you're right. You can't. It feels improper to do a Halloween film without either a Lori or a Loomis, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fitting that Loomis dies pleasance dies during the production of six and then the next one's h2o so like we get the lori component yeah whatever halloween looks like going forward maybe they'll do a whole loomis trilogy like who even knows but uh what a great discussion part fours uh final just diagnosis like jason the final chapter the dream master and the return of michael myers i'll just kind of say it compared to comparatively to part or part threes sans dream uh warriors i think our part fours have been in a much better shape and in a much better place than the last last year's injuries fair yeah which of the three right now is in the best shape going forward not what happens but if you're going back in time to the ladies which of these three characters do you think has the most potential for greatness going forward or which of the series does well the one that left me at the tippy top wanting more even though they killed them off like i think Friday the 13th is in a really good spot uh, right now. Yep. Like, they really hit that a home run with part four. Freddy, at the height of his powers, like, I I know I want to see more. And I like that uh, Halloween got back to basics with this one. But I think Friday's maybe in the best shape. That's what I would say, too. Post part four. Yeah. Diagnosis. Next year, Matt. Mm. So, I'll tell you this. Part five's. Halloween five is in contention for my least favorite of the entire 13 series run. Mm -hmm. The dream child nightmare on Elm street is not a good movie. No. And part five, a new beginning Friday, the 13th 
I like, but I'll tell you up front, it's not a good movie. No. It's a cheese schlock fest that kind of tries to reinvent what the Jason thing is with a whole new caveat. I, I like it because it's it's a cheesy, good, bad movie, but it's a bad movie at the end of the day. So we're in for some interesting discussions on what the hell happened now going forward with these franchises. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. That, uh, might be a, that might be a uh, screwball whiskey and grape crush no, cask. No, 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 no. We can't do that. No. <laughs> we should still drink good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's only when we talk about bad DC movies we pull that one out. I should have one for you this afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Uh, cheers to this cask, the Fearsome Four. We'll cheers. put them, put the lid back on it. And now kind of gearing up for November, get out of the spooky season. It's been frightening for two months now. What could we possibly talk about on the horizon? And we got a big release coming up in two weeks. And dare I say, I think it's the film that can finally firm up its ground and re-solidify whatever the hell Marvel's plan is going forward. We got three hours they're going to do it in. Yeah. Oh, my God. 242, I think. Kill me. Mm. But if it's good, don't kill me. Okay. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is on the horizon and a lot of questions that need to be answered. Namely, how do they address an absent T'Challa from the MCU? Mm -hmm. But they're also introducing a character that I think could be monumental going forward, Namor the Submariner. And I don't know about you, but I kind of dig this Aztecian Tenochtitlan version that they're leaning into. Like, that that's not... Yeah, germane to the comic book lore. So I'm with you. I'm curious to see what that looks like, like more Aztecian Mexican pyramids and lore versus just like Aquaman, right? Look, the clashing of two cultures couldn't be more better scripted than this. Yeah. Wakanda and Atlantis or whatever that Tenochtitlan version. Yeah. Man, that is so opposite of each other. Yeah. And both equally regal in their own sort of faults with their regalness. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. And the rumors I've heard of who may or may not show up at the end credits is it's everything we've been wanting from a Marvel film going forward. So my expectations are maybe getting a little too high. Wow. But uh, we got that in two weeks. So yeah. what better way to lead into that with the first film yep. from 2018? The original Black Panther. Boom, boom. With Directed by Ryan Coogler, starring Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan. I think this will be great. This will be a great conversation. This film was very well lauded when it came out. Nominated for Best Picture and a slew of Oscars. Mm-hmm. Matt, I've only seen it one time. Really? And it was in the theater. So I'm looking forward to this rewatch. And I think it'll be great to talk, talk, talk about Chadwick Boseman and how he kind of hid how... He was sick very, he was. very sick during the filming of all of this stuff and just kind of gave 110%. Yeah. And we get to talk about Coogler, and we're fans of that guy from the what he did with Creed. And yeah. it might be just be good to talk about a good Marvel movie for once, right? I'm down with that, <laughs> to that. And not a show, and She-Hulk, mm-hmm. and whatever the hell, and this and that, and <laughs> Thor, Love, and Thunder, and the fucking Eternals, and... Ugh. It seems to be our mo, so I think we're due for some for some winners here, and um, they're due, they're due. They, they have to be mm-hmm. if they want this thing to continue. They need to be. Yeah. So, got that coming for you the next two weeks. That'll be a little small, little one off, a one two one two punch, and then we'll get into some 
pretty fun stuff that we discussed. So some exciting casks coming up before the year ends. You yeah. guys are going to like it. And then when the year gets to the other side, I have an idea that I haven't even pitched Jesse on yet. So you guys will like that. Sounds good. Yep. All righty. So we'll see you all next week. I got to get going. Uh, I got to go get my Halloween mask. I hope it's not pink with blonde hair, um, but you never know. Pink with blonde hair, you'll look like Iggy Pop. Eh. <laughs> we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, is property of Trancus International, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Ah! No! No!